You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Well, the last time we looked at the feeding of the 5,000 at the end of chapter 6 of Mark's Gospel, and from there they disperse the crowd, Jesus puts the disciples, and they go across in a boat across the lake, and Jesus goes up into the mountain to pray. And while he's praying, he notices that there's a strong wind against his disciples' boat, and they're not making any headway. And after a season, the fourth watch of the night, somewhere around three, four o'clock in the morning, he's done praying, he comes out, he starts walking by, scares the bewillies out of them, they don't know what to do, they think it's the ghosts, they cry out, they're, they're absolutely terrorized. I don't know, do you, do you remember what it's like to feel terror? Anybody not know what terror's like? You don't know what terror's like? Come up, I'll scare the, no. <laughs> it's like, I remember the terror that I felt one time as, a, as an elementary age kid we're doing the California trip and the 1959 Plymouth station wagon, and I'm not going, and we're gonna pull off the side of the road and eat on this mountain, and it has some steps, and I decided I'm just gonna go have my own little private picnic with myself. And so as I go down, I get about, oh, I don't know, 30, 40 stairs down, and I hear (laughs) I was terrified. I turned around and, you know, I understand where they get those expressions in the cartoons where they, because that's just the way I felt. It was just like, I'm out of here. There's there's something about being terrified and, and Jesus says, no, don't be afraid. This is, I am, I am is here, don't be afraid. Gets in the boat and the wind stops. That's really interesting, the, the relationship that Jesus has with boats. I love this relationship with Jesus and boats. Sometimes when he gets in the boat, all of a sudden, they're at their destination. I mean, it's like he gets in the boat and they're there. Anybody want Jesus to get in your boat so you can get someplace really quick? Yeah. Other times he gets in the boat and and whatever's happening in nature stops. We say nature, whether it's in the spirit realm or whether it's in the natural realm, we could debate that. But when he gets in, it stops, it ceases. I like that. And other times he just stands and says, come on, Peter. And Peter walks on the water. And then he catches him and they get back in the boat. Sometimes the text is silent, but he's in a lot of boats. Sometimes he gets in a boat because there's so many people that are pressing him, which we'll look at a little bit later, that he's got to get some distance or he'd get crushed. And so he gets in a boat and he teaches. Well, as they're all excited, in verse 52 he says, in the Passion Translation, Their doubting hearts had not grasped his authority and power over all things, in spite of having just witnessed the miraculous feeding. 
I think uh, the passion puts it kind of nice. It's, it's kind of sweet. It's like, it just hasn't penetrated yet. It just hasn't penetrated their understanding yet. They've seen it. They're still processing what the Lord has done and trying to figure out once it gets through their filters and, and their uh, system and values, you know, how's it gonna change how they live? But Jesus seems to have an expectation that having been a part of the healing, uh, of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, that they should have a, a little bit of understanding because they've already been in the boat once and he rebuked the wind and the waves and the, everything calmed and, and they thought they were gonna die. So he's already done that once. And now he, he, he thinks that they should have understood something. Have you ever asked him, Lord Jesus, do you think I should have understood something by now that I still don't understand? You know, that there's, there's something that you have revealed to me in this situation, and yet I still haven't really transferred it and, and translated it into my life, into every day going and, and coming and, and everything that's going on. <sighs> well, we looked last week and we said there's always a message in a miracle. So what's the message? In this feeding of the 5,000, Jesus has all power to meet every need. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we don't realize that Jesus has power to meet this need because we've never seen him do it that way before. And we've never had that need before. We're just going about life and now we're, we're kind of in a corner and we're thinking, oh, there's no hope. I've never seen the Lord do that. And we all know the, the good Bible verse that says, God helps those who help themselves. Not. God shows his power and his strength in our weakness and in our need. <laughs> and a lot of times we don't see the power of God because we don't know that we have need of the power of God. We don't see our weakness, so we don't know where to invite the Lord into so that he can show himself strong. And so here, here we have this, and it's just amazing that he's, he's at the point now with the disciples, we're in the six chapters of, of the Gospel of Mark, which is moving really, really fast. And he, he thinks they should, they should have some more process understanding of his power and his authority. The second part of the message of the miracle is that the disciples carry power with them. They don't know that yet. They haven't realized that when they were with Jesus and he was taking the bread and it was being multiplied in their hands and they were distributing to the people, that they are sharing in the miraculous ministry of Jesus. And when Jesus speaks to the wind or just gets in the boat, it stops. And I think he let them go out on the boat and this was one of their first little low-risk tests. Nobody died. <clears throat> and they probably got a little more workout on their biceps and muscles and everything, trying to, trying to get 
through the wind, but he comes to them and it's like, oh, you guys still don't get it. You don't understand the loaves. You don't understand the miraculous ability that the Son of God has and that has been shared with you. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm thinking, okay, maybe we ought to just pause right now and just say, Holy Spirit, would you, would, would you like to show me and remind me and reveal to me areas that I don't, I don't understand right now that you want to manifest the power and the authority of Jesus in in this area, in this area, in this area, this relationship, this circumstance, this thinking, these emotions. Why is it that I'm so anxious? Lord, I, I, I ask you to reveal, what is it about your power and your authority that you want to make known to me today? I guarantee you he's wanting to do something in you today. You've got something going on that he wants to come in his love and his friendship, his goodness, his kindness, his ability to deliver and to bring freedom. He wants to come to that area of your life. So they're part of the miracle and there's new light that he's wanting them to see and new authority that he wants them to understand that they carry. This is all before Pentecost. Today we're sitting, we're reading the account. Pentecost has come, Holy Spirit has descended, and now it's like, okay, there's probably a zillion times more stuff that we have failed to understand what the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit wants to do in our day-to-day -day walk, our day-to-day -day life. So we'll pick up with Mark Chapter 6, verse 53. They had crossed over. They landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive the revelation of your power, your authority that resides within you and how you've shared that with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So isn't it interesting? When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. Was that where they were headed? No. They were headed to Bethsaida. So this tells me that this, this resistance of the wind was real. This wasn't just some kind of, it could have been some kind of spiritual activity of the demonic that was manifesting in the wind, but it actually blew them off course. And they ended up in Gennesaret. No bother. Jesus is there. And have you, have you remembered the many people, the motif all through 
this section of scripture. They didn't have enough time to eat because of all the many people. The many people, they couldn't sleep, they couldn't rest. They go on retreat. The many people get there to the retreat spot before they do. And it's not just a few, 5,000 men plus women and children. So we, we have a large group, we have a multitude. And now they come back and here's the many people again. And this is the first point of the sermon, they recognize Jesus. As soon as they got out of the boat, they recognized Jesus. As soon as, once again, a, a descriptor of Mark, immediately, straightway, as soon as they got out of the boat, they recognized Jesus. They recognized that it was Jesus. So what are they doing? Now the disciples are a little bit further behind than it looks like the multitude. They don't quite understand the fullness of what, what Jesus' authority and power has, but the sick people do. And the testimonies of those that have been healed is taking off and going all around. And so much so that as soon as they, they realize that Jesus has landed and he's recognized, they go and they gather all the sick people, all the sick people. Think the church would grow? I do. I think, man, we could fill this place up five times on Sunday. You know, the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus to heal the sick. And so what do they do? They carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Is that cool? Oh, but Jesus is down the road at First Church. Oh, I don't go to First Church. <laughs> their doctrine's not pure. Their, their doctrine's wrong, and, and, and they believe stuff that's just heretical. It's just not right. I would never go there. They went anywhere they heard that Jesus was. Hmm. That kind of, I, I think if you allow it, it'll stir something up in your spirit that says, Lord, would you deal with all my religious prejudice that says I can't walk across the tracks and go into that church? Or would you, would you free me from all the, you know, the different preconceived understandings of how you work and you don't work that way? You know, you come around and you see something of somebody having a response either to the Holy Spirit or the unholy spirit in them is having a reaction to the Holy Spirit that is filling the room. And so you get some bizarre behavior. Do you realize that in all the revivals throughout history, they're messy? You know, Everybody doesn't get in an, in an aisle in an order and come forward and receive Jesus into their heart. No, when the gospel is proclaimed and the truth is released and the love of God is manifest, every unclean spirit in the place just reacts. It responds. It goes ballistic. It tries to hide. It tries to shield itself. It tries to put on a little religious garb so that maybe it'll go undetected, but it cannot remain in the presence of the glory of the Lord. And so it's got to come out. 
sickness that's attached to it's got to get healed. The, the truth and the spirit gets liberated. Addictions are broken. All the good stuff that happens and we... And so here, Mark in his gospel at the end of chapter six, right? There's 10 more chapters to come in the gospel of Mark. At the end of chapter six, he brings this kind of catch-all summary that wherever Jesus went now, everybody gathered all the sick, and if they couldn't walk, they put them on mats and they carried them to Jesus. And they would take to the marketplace, if they knew Jesus was gonna go down Main Street, they lined Main Street up, and they just begged him that they could touch him. The fringe of his garment. I always like the expression, the hem of his garment. But that's really not here. I was looking, King James, is that, that here? No, no, just the edge of his garment. But some, some have translated the, the, the edge of his prayer shawl. And there was some, some interesting descriptors about the prayer shawl that Jesus may have worn and that there would be these tassels on the prayer shawl and the blue ones in particular that would, that would refer to the promises of God, the truth of scripture, the promises of God towards his people. And they would have them on there. And those are what they, they just wanted to touch Jesus. The lady with the issue of blood, she touched the hem of his garment. These, all these folks, they just lined up and as Jesus was passed by, they just wanted to touch something. And you just say, oh, these poor, desperate, delusional people, don't they understand? You know, if you touch a shirt or a hem on my pant leg, it's, it, all you're gonna do is, is fill the fabric. Don't, don't you really? But the scripture says, all who touched were healed. That's kind of how Mark sums up chapter six. He's gone through Jesus healing blind, leprosy, uh, fever, all the different things, withered hand. You go through all the individual accounts, but from this point on in the gospel of Mark, it doesn't talk about any more mass healings. He'll have some individual encounters. Barnabas is coming up in chapter 10. So we're, we're gonna get Bart in there. And we're, we're gonna have some of these, these kind of things. But at this point, he, he's rushing to the cross. But he wants everyone to understand the truth about who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He's the healer. He's the savior of the world. He is the son of God. He is the son of man. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And so he's wanting, and he's just saying, look at this. Everyone that gets gathered to him gets healed. Now, usually when we go to the guy, you know, at, at the pool of Bethesda, we talk about how there were all these other sick people and Jesus didn't heal them. He only healed this guy. And we, and we use that to show that Jesus, you know, he's, he's, He's got favorites. He's, he, he, he's, he's very selective in who he heals. 
that's the only place that you'll be able to infer into the scriptures that kind of thought. Because every place else in the scripture, and he healed them all. Many who were tormented with demons were free. Many who were sick with illness and disease were free and healed and brought whole. And so here, Mark, he's closing chapter six. And just in case you didn't understand it, when people knew that Jesus was coming, they took off into the villages, into the towns, wherever he was heading. You know, they're ahead of him. They're ahead of his boat when he's crossing the lake. And they're back as his boat's coming back to the other side. They're ahead of him there. They're always there. And wherever Jesus is going, he's got this group of people who's going out and they're announcing Jesus is here. Bring all your sick and put them in a place where they can touch just as his garments and they'll be healed. And they're all healed. And that's the glory of the gospel. Mark wants us to understand there is nothing outside the range of his healing. Now, if you've ever prayed for someone and they weren't healed, it's all on you because you are just bad. No. It's all on them because they don't have enough faith. It's all on, we don't try to figure that out. We just humble ourselves and say, Lord, we don't understand how healing works, but we do know based on scripture and based on what we've seen even, you heal and you heal today. One of the things that, that the kingdom of darkness went after the church was this whole understanding of healing. And there's certain denominations, you know, I've, I've got some friends that are pastors in certain denominations and they would talk to me and they would say, oh, if you talk about healing, you'll lose your church. You know, they're, they're part of, of the theological understanding that the, the signs and wonders and the miracles were only there for the early apostles until they got scripture. And once they got the scripture, then there's no more need for miracles. I don't know, you, I need some miracles. Yeah, I see a lot of need for miracles. And it's like, we, we need to come to the place of understanding the evil one is always at work to try to discourage us from praying for the sick. He's there to discourage us in believing what the scripture tells us and what the Holy Spirit leads us. Oh, if you do that, you'll look like a fruitcake. Don't do that. No. I think Holy Spirit's really dealing with my fruitcake issue. I've got this huge issue of fruitcake next, fruity, looking really fruity. You know, as that's the nicest, most euphemistic way I can put it. But it, it, you know, it's like every now and then when I feel the Holy Spirit's just giving me a little bit more of a nudge than normal. You know, like he's so gentle. 
You know, he's, he's, he's trying to encourage and says, try, try, try. No, I think he's going, would you get out of the boat? <laughs> you know, and, 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 and I think that's what he's been doing recently with me. He just says, you know it, you've seen it, you've experienced it, you believe it. Why are you hesitant to do it? To get out of the boat. It's my favorite title. If you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. You know, and it's like, it, it, it's Jesus has absolute authority over everything. And one of the things that I'm really, really particularly concerned with is mental health. I, I, I think with all the brokenness in our world, mental health is such a huge issue. And I think there is real healing in Jesus for every condition, including mental health. And, and I keep hearing more and more reports of mental illness, schizophrenia, uh, even some Down syndromes type stuff, just getting healed. And it's like, Lord, sign me up. I really, I really want to be in the flow. But the thing of it is, I don't know about you, I wanna be a part of the program that starts very gradual so that we have no mistakes, we don't have any failures, and we just gradually go from level one to level two to level three to level four so that you know when it comes to raising the dead, I will be totally qualified because I've gone through all the stages and, I, and I'm there. And it just doesn't seem to work that way. But I'm open. And I, I, I want to kind of encourage all of us today that wherever you are in your walk to realize the absolute authority of the Lord Jesus Christ over every need of every situation of every problem in your life. I find that right now, anytime I come across something and I have an adverse response, Debbie tells me so-and-so's, and I go, I just say, oh, Holy Spirit, that's an area you wanna go into. Because really that's not, that's not the response I think I really am that's a response based on woundedness, based on frustration, based on fear, uh, whatever. Would you come in to that place? Rick B sees me do this oftentimes on the golf course. And I, I think there's just like a new level of frustration on the golf course. Uh, just pray for all the golfers out there. Because <laughs> I, I, I have, I've, I've gotten past throwing golf clubs in my sanctification, I'm continuing. And, but I had in my heart murder toward my golf club last week. I mean, this golf club deserves to die right now. I didn't process it that way, but that's what, I was, that's what my experience was. And I just thought, oh, Holy Spirit, you need to go into that place that wants to kill these sweet little clubs. 
and bring healing to that place. And you take that to whether it's a dog, a child, uh, whatever, a friend, uh, a neighbor, and just realize the Lord is Lord of all. And he wants to be Lord of all in your heart. So don't dismiss and say, I made Jesus Lord of my life, but I'm still an irritable old lady and I will gripe and complain and be negative about this, 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 this. No, 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 no. If he's Lord of your life, then everywhere where you find that you're griping and complaining, why don't you ask him to come in and do something? Come in and do something. I know that's what I gotta do because sweetness is not my nature, but it is his. And when his gentleness and the sweetness of his presence comes, it's amazing how you can manifest the sweetness of the Lord. Linda does it automatically. I don't think we can give her extra stars in heaven for her sweetness. She's just sweet to the core. But I imagine there's places where you've had to apply. <laughs> Lord, bring some sweetness in this area. And so, okay, everybody got it? Can Jesus heal anything? Does he want to? Mm. And when we come across that and we don't see it happening, we quit and go home and take our ball. No. We, we come and we sit at his feet and we just say, Lord, would you teach me how to contend for the healing of this person? And we listen and we wait. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.